0: Guess what, garden nerds? We got a sponsor. Sunset Lake CBD is a farmer-owned small business that ships craft CBD products directly from their farm to your door. Sunset Lake CBD has something for everyone. They offer tinctures, edibles, salves, and coffee designed to help with sleep, stress, and sore muscles. They're located outside Burlington, Vermont, and were originally a dairy farm, but in 2019, they decided to diversify and start growing hemp. You know, hemp. It's gonna save the world. Anyway, you're supporting regenerative agriculture when you buy products from sunset lake cbd they use regenerative and organic methods and their farm workers are paid a living wage and the employees own the majority of the company i've been using the hemp and arnica salve and i really love how it smells and feels and my husband has been drinking the coffee and he says that he's having a no jitter experience so use the promo code nerd for 20 percent off your entire order at sunsetlakecbd.com now on with the show It's the Gardener Tip of the Week podcast, where we spend time chatting with expert gardening guests and we ask for their favorite tip. I'm Christy Wilhelmy. Thanks for joining me. My guest this week, and I'm so excited to have her, is Liz Zorab, owner of Byther Farm, her small holding farm in Wales, Great Britain. So we're talking across the seas today. Liz is the author of the delightful read called Grounded, A Gardener's Journey to Abundance and Self-Sufficiency. She and her husband, Mr. J, took on a 0.8 acre barren plot surrounded by commercial agriculture fields and turned it into a permaculture paradise, all while dealing with a life-changing illness. Welcome to the podcast, Liz. Hello, Christy. Thank you so much for inviting me. I am so excited to talk to you because I just finished reading your book. And before we dive into that, though, I want to give people a sense of place because you're in Wales and I haven't talked to anybody in Wales before. So can you describe by their farm and what kind of growing season you have?
1: So Wales is on the west side of the UK. It is warmed by the Gulf Stream uh, as that comes across the Atlantic. So it's an oceanic temperate climate. The growing conditions are generally very nice. We have seasons, but we don't have very extreme seasons. And so our growing season goes from really April right through to November. And uh, Wales is also known for being quite wet. So we have an abundance <laughs> of water. So
0: you don't ever have Do you have to irrigate at all?
1: Yes, I do irrigate. So that early in the season... Or, as we've just had now, we've had a very dry spell for a couple of weeks, Uh, then we irrigate. But uh, generally, for me, it's been less about preserving water and holding water in the soil and more about making sure that it drains away fast enough.
0: Right. I imagine you have quite clay soil where you are, if that's common in Wales. Absolutely. So
1: by the farm is coastal and has the joy of uh, about two inches of clay topsoil. And then underneath that is about a foot of sand and pebbles. Oh, wow. Because at some point in the 1500s, it's thought there was something that was called the Great Flood and it's thought it was possibly caused by a tsunami. And an awful lot of the beach was then washed over the local land. And then on top of that uh, has come these couple of inches of topsoil. So it's interesting. It it does get dry, then drains quite quickly. It does that whole thing. It's very soggy in the winter. Yeah, I hear you. It can get
0: very dry in the summer. Got it. Well, this book walks the read through just about every harrowing decision that you made during the process of building out or not building out by their farm. Mm -hmm. There were, there's so many great ideas that came from your desire to use recycled or free materials. Can you share one or two of those ideas that came to fruition on the farm? Absolutely. And it came
1: not from desperately wanting to use recycled materials, but desperately having no
0: budget. (laughs) And a lot of space to cover with no budget. A lot of
1: space to cover. So uh, pallets became my very best friends. Uh, I used pallets in as many ways as I possibly could from creating fences to making compost bays, uh, using them to uh, house a second-hand sink. I used them for for climbing structures and wherever possible I then layered those and stacked those uh, tasks one on top of another. So in fact the compost bays became the fence, became the climbing plant support, became the tools station and became the place where uh, we had the sink for washing vegetables. So finding things that we could get in abundance and get very cheaply. And we were really lucky to find a source of pallets uh, that were uh, one pound each, regardless of the size. And the company that we got them from delivered them to us free of charge.
0: That's even better.
1: they, They bought four foot pallets. They bought eight foot pallets and then they bought us 15 foot long pallets and we paid a pound for them
0: and i know so here in the u.s i know there are a lot of pallets that are made out of materials you don't want to have direct soil contact with or put plants up against but is that the same in great britain so there are some that are
1: treated with chemicals but not many Uh, most of our pallets here are heat treated or kiln dried Um, and there, we have a great marking system on the pallets, so you know exactly what they're made from and they tend to be if it's got some horrid chemical on it you don't want it it's been sprayed or painted a color so ah, you do kind okay. of think oh yeah okay that one's colored maybe I won't use that one and I have before I learned that I use them <laughs> because that's what we had <laughs> right right yeah so, I, uh, yeah so I use things like palettes and then I just reused everything people's old poultry fencing that had holes in it I went okay I'll sew them up and you know and, and I actually sewed them up with zip ties and kind of did a a mending thing and sometimes I just had to put them doubled over so we were you know and, and people learnt very quickly oh, she's the woman to take stuff to because she'll take anything <laughs> um, and and I walked a very fine line between having a stash of really useful stuff and actually just being a junkyard <laughs> we, we walked such a fine line between that most of the time and maybe there's a hoarder in me that says don't throw it away because it might be useful but the reality is most things were useful
0: yeah, I think a lot of gardeners run up against the same problem I I know I have a stash of stuff in the back that I'm like I'm gonna use this and I'm not sure how yet but I'm gonna use this so you're you're an inspiration and or a really bad example <laughs> really bad. A bad influence I don't know yeah. <laughs> Nice. So what other things did you like to repurpose or acquire for the farm? So we made
1: regular Sunday morning trips to our local garden centre or plant nursery and used cardboard boxes that they had en masse. And I use those for uh, creating raised beds for sheet mulch. And when I say creating raised beds, I mean, I actually just made the raised beds in the cardboard boxes. So cardboard box on the ground, fill it up with soil or fill it up with wood chips. Away you go. So smart. <laughs> uh, We've got wood chips delivered to us by the ton I I just cannot describe to you how many wood chips we had we we became friends with uh, a local tree surgeon and he'd done some work for us and we'd said whenever you're in the area and you've got wood chips we'll take them please I didn't even need to be there he would just pitch up and leave them and in fact he was so good because he would tell us what sort of wood they were so we knew whether they were uh, leylandii and therefore only ever got used on paths or whether they were something like apple or cherry in which case they went into the compost quite quickly to improve the soil we did get through an awful lot of wood chips and i know they're a resource that people find really hard to get hold of and it was one of those things we were just very lucky
0: there's a company here in the states at least in california where it's called chipdrop.in and there's an industry and you go to their website and you sign up and they will connect you with tree trimmers in the area who would rather not pay a dumping fee at the landfill and Mm -hmm. keep it out of the landfill and that way you know We get that. So it's nice to know that those connections are being made elsewhere as well.
1: Yeah, I I gather from other people that it can be really hard to get hold of. Even when you do the chip drop thing, you can be waiting a very long time before you get any. You
0: never know when they're going to show up. And then when they do, you have to take the whole load. And most people don't have quite enough room for 22 cubic yards, which I do, but not everyone (laughs) does. (laughs) It's kind of scary when you've got this mound in your driveway and you don't know what to do with it. But we just put out a sign, and people honestly, On Christmas Day, people were shoveling up mulch chips to take home a couple of years ago. So that's fun. So those resources are are helpful to know about. And especially the ingenuity that you talk about in the book of how you just put so many things to use that it just had never occurred to me. So I'm really glad that you shared that. You also have ducks on the property and they served a really helpful purpose to solve a problem or two. Can you tell us about that?
1: So the ducks, (laughs) we started off having two ducks because I just fancied a couple of Jemima puddle type ducks. And I just had this very romantic vision of ducks waddling around the the garden. And I very quickly learned two things about ducks. One is they make a horrendous mess. They can make beautiful beautiful grass uh, very muddy very quickly but the other thing they do is they will eat slugs and snails and other things so the cows come home they will just carry on and carry on and carry on eating and they're really good at hunting them so I used to let the ducks into the vegetable garden uh, for the late autumn for the whole of winter and for early spring and they were allowed uh, in the food forest for most of the time as well and then they got shut out of various different areas as I wanted to plant in them or when things like the currants were starting to ripen because uh, our ducks will strip a currant bush so so it was a case of I'll have to tolerate more slugs and snails in that area but I want be able to harvest the currents so not only do they eat those slugs and snails but as they're walking through on those wood chip pathways they're dropping their droppings everywhere they're putting pressure and helping to break down those wood chips by paddling along on them all the time they're dibbling through them so they're turning them over so they were making fabulous compost for me from the wood chips uh, whilst also removing our slug and snail population so it was just win 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 and then every morning there were a few eggs awesome you <laughs> know I, I realize
0: I need to back up a little bit and get a sense of all of the different gardens you created at by their farm because you basically divided things into rooms I think is how yes. you describe it in the yep. book and so you have the food forest and the raised beds but talk about that a little bit.
1: Uh, being coastal the wind is constant and I wanted to create as many wind breaks as I could so create small rooms which means I had more edges more hedges (laughs) more changes in environment so I created though it just became natural dividing up really so there was an area that the ducks were in which was next to the vegetable garden and part of the food forest to start with and I'm just gonna say it ended up the whole thing being a food forest but to start (laughs) with I'd named it and then there was a field that we had some chickens in so we named it after the chickens and then there was an area that I created into an ornamental garden and we named them because it allowed me to identify to Mr J I'm going to go and work in the x y and z area today or can you take this too it was much more about being able to identify uh, those separate areas that's why they got names it also allowed me to plan in some ways so rather than having to plan all of it all the time I could plan one part of it within the whole knowing what its function was so I could plan what was going to be going into the raised bed garden I could plan what was going into uh, the ornamental garden and then as the chicken field became a market garden I could plan that as well but it just it helped break it up into bite-sized pieces because it can be hugely overwhelming to just think I'll just pop outside and sort out that three quarters of an acre. (laughs) Right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah Yeah, it's nice to be able to compartmentalize a little bit Mm -hmm. and plan just that one spot which leads me into my next question. So because I just finished reading the book cover to cover and it's absolutely delightful and your, your voice is really clear throughout and your humor and the light-hearted nature with which you took on this project and yet somehow whether you had a feeling of overwhelm or not it was not deeply expressed in this book it felt just so heartening all the way through thank you but during that time you take us through this five-year journey and at some point because you just mentioned the market garden you started a csa how did that come about about and how did you manage it part of
1: my driving force kind of not just within the farm or the garden or what if you want to call it but just part of what's within me is that I feel a social responsibility to help other people in whatever way I can so a lot of my previous work has been with uh, non-profit organizations with charities with housing organizations and once I had got to the point where I was growing an abundance of food I felt like I wanted to be able to share that some way or another so for a couple of years I did one veg box which I gave to a social worker to be able to pass on to a family and then I gave some to a charity that was producing a Christmas lunch and then as that surplus increased I thought actually I can do more than that I can actually offer some of these vegetables for sale so that people are getting much better value than they would if they were in the stores it's helping me pay for the seeds that I'm buying and I did a bit of research and hey look there was this CSA thing already set up as a system what a fabulous thing right and so I just read as much as I could and set up a, what can only be described as a micro CSA so mm-hmm. the first year uh, I said I think I could probably do seven veg boxes and this was done kind of without the having the growing planning so I made the decision after I'd started growing most of the food <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like can I eat an extra seven you know seven veg boxes a week on top of our own food well the answer mm-hmm. is yes I could Oh, good. And then I sort of went, like, if I want to do more than that, then I need to do, actually have a bit more of a growing area and create a small market garden with those veg boxes in mind. Uh, it was very, very easy to turn seven shares in a CSA to 20. And, so impressive. It's so impressive. Uh, I'm not going to say it was easy in the garden, but it was easy to find people who wanted to be part of it. Uh, I just put a note out on our local community page on Facebook and said, is anybody interested in and kind of explained you're going to be have to be paid for the whole year's vegetables up front. And people went, yeah, 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 we'll do it. We'll do it. Wow that's so great and some of it I had the advantage that as I was putting that notification out uh, COVID was just hitting here and we were having serious shortages in shops that was when that great rush for loo roll you know the loo roll disappeared and fresh (laughs) veg had disappeared and they were saying there may be shortages of food and I just went hey I've got food does anybody want any and everyone went yes we (laughs) do so it was I was oversubscribed. like if anybody had dropped out I had a waiting list of people who wanted to pick up with that so I wanted to look at the boxes of veg that I was offering and think would I pick that up and go well I'm not paying 10 pounds for that I wanted to go that's a lot of food for a tenner and so that was the premise under which I filled those those veg boxes it was I wanted people to really feel like they were getting value for money and I think as long as I work on that basis I'm always going to have a reasonably successful business there's going to be if I put less in yes I could do more veg boxes but it wouldn't make my soul sing and most of what i do is aimed at making my soul sing
0: that's a that's a good guideline i feel like going with your gut makes all the difference and i just want to clarify for american listeners that lou roll is toilet paper for those Absolutely. who don't know <laughs> <laughs> Just to throw that out there. I have a Welsh sister in law and she uses all different words for things. And so I understand, you know, I, I speak a little bit of that. Not Welsh. I don't speak Welsh at all, but it's such a beautiful language. Anyway, I want to ask you also about the physical difficulties you had as you started the farm and ran the CSA. You describe how it set you back in the book for a while, but also how you felt better. Is there a big difference between how you felt at the beginning versus how you feel now?
1: So at the beginning, before we moved there, my thyroid had started playing up, but presumably had been doing that for quite a long time. I went to the doctors and said something feels very, very wrong. And I would put on a huge amount of weight. So I'd put on something like 120 pounds in less than a year, not really doing anything different, except I was now walking around with this thing around my hips that was huge. And I kind of look back and think, is that really part of me? And I felt dreadful, went into the doctors and said i'm prepared for you to tell me i've got a severe case of cake but i think i think my thyroid has gone um, and and they came back and said, yeah, your thyroid is gone. Not only that, but you haven't been absorbing the vitamins and minerals that you need. So I actually had not malnutrition, but undernutrition and was suffering all sorts of symptoms of just not absorbing the nutrients that I needed to absorb. And I ended up going to bed because I just I couldn't walk anymore. It, everything hurt so much. Uh, my hearing was almost gone uh my vision was awful my hair was falling out and at my worst my speech had almost gone so I thought I was speaking and Mr. J would say to me do you want anything I'm like oh no and of course I knew what I was saying he had absolutely no idea because I just wasn't forming the words I wasn't and I wasn't hearing myself properly I was in an absolute mess when we went to look at that house it was like it's, it's absolutely lovely and it's my dream and it's my dream and I feel so ill And we spent quite a lot of time wondering about the wisdom of taking on something like that when I was feeling so ill, but I'm stubborn (laughs) and... I am seriously stubborn (laughs) and regardless of how ill I felt I have always had that dream of a little house with a big garden and if I'm going to do the little house with the big garden I need to do the garden and so we ploughed ahead with buying the house and I think I say in the book you know whatever it takes I'm going to get up I'm going to do this thing when we arrived there, I was walking around on two walking sticks, a few steps at a time, and then I'd have to sit down for a while. So I watched Mr. J move all our belongings in. Uh, it was torrential rain, 40 mile an hour winds. And Lord. I just stood there going, can you put that over there? And put that- <laughs> 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 and that's how the garden started with me hobbling around on walking sticks pushing a wheelbarrow a couple of steps on the walking sticks picking up the wheelbarrow and pushing a bit more it was incredibly painfully slow going and as my thyroid medication started working and as I was taking a vitamin and mineral supplements and I was absorbing more of those I was getting outside and I was doing a tiny bit of exercise and it was a small bit of exercise just bit by bit all of those things just started making me feel a bit better and Mm that and the more well I felt the more I could do and even now uh, I still have to be careful just like everybody else I have to be careful that I don't overdo it but if I do overdo it it doesn't just make me exhausted tonight it can actually set me back for three four five days or possibly even a couple of weeks so if I do something that's like horrifically stressful and I overdo it physically, then I just know that there is going to be a period afterwards where I have to go, I have to look after myself, and then I can pick up again and carry on. And that's one of the really good lessons uh, that by the Farm has given me is that just do enough. I like
0: that you bring me to another question because there you document a lot of rookie mistakes that you made <laughs> early on, and <laughs> I love that you share them because it's really important for people to understand that failure is a huge part of gardening, and I talk about it all the time but what were some of your biggest that you'd like to share <laughs> okay I just going to
1: just want to add that although they are uh, absolutely rookie mistakes these rookie mistakes were made after 35 years of gardening aha so you've <laughs>
0: been gardening
1: for a really long time and I still made the rookie errors, and I still do it but I did things like forgetting to label things so that I'd sow beans thinking yeah I remember this these are dwarf you know low-growing bush beans <laughs> and when they'd reached, reached about seven foot it was like no maybe they're not <laughs> maybe they're not so there's lots of that lots of forgetting to label things once so they were planted not watering enough watering too much expecting tender plants to be able to make it through a winter um, or you know or just put them outside and just forget about them altogether forever and then you walk around the corner and think oh look there's a couple of hundred plants there that are just dried up and shriveled oh no <laughs> and yeah so there was lots of just, lots of trying to do too many things at once lots of not pacing myself enough uh lots of expecting too much of nature and uh, and things that I still continue to do so I put tools down I remember where I put that no I won't <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Central location for tools all the time. I either put my hand shears, my pruning shears or tra- hand trowel in my back pocket or in the shed. Never on the ground, in the garden, just one of two places. That's one of my rules that I use for myself. But I guess in a bigger space, you probably have to track that a little bit more.
1: I have learned my trowel goes in one of two places. It goes into the pallet tool container mm-hmm. or it goes into the end of one of the raised beds so that when I'm walking down the central, pathway i can see it sticking up nice except for when i forget and i just leave it lying around and (laughs) then the grass grows and uh We spent a lot of time looking for hose. You know, I I know I've got this hose somewhere. I propped it against the fence and it had fallen down, almost never to be seen again.
0: Yeah, that's a good tip. You know, I want to back up a little bit too, because you said you'd been gardening for 35 years, but you didn't have, as you describe in the book, you got your permaculture design certificate kind of partway through your process, but you didn't have that before. But you'd always thought in a permaculture way. Let's talk about that a bit.
1: Yeah, so I had been... I'd been, well, I'd been gardening. I'd just been gardening. And I had watched my parents garden and and I grew up in the 60s and 70s when uh, there was a lotion potion spray or pill for everything and the garden of my childhood had blue slug pellets on the floor mm, it yeah. had <laughs> it had really stinky creosote on the fences uh my father sprayed all the roses for green fly he sprayed a different spray for black spots he played sprayed a different spray for mildew and just it didn't feel right there was just something with me that went if you need to put all those things on a plant perhaps you shouldn't be growing the plants or is there another way of doing it and so mm. when I got my own first garden when I was uh, 18 and 20 I didn't use any of those things and guess what I had loads of weeds and I had green fly and I had black spot and it was okay and guess what I still had roses and they were all the <laughs> they were all the problems that my my father had had but the flower there and the rose hips were there and those were the two things that I wanted so I kind of rejected that uh, 1970s mainstream gardening thing without really thinking about it and there were just lots of bits and pieces that I did that when I then started reading about permaculture really quite recently so six seven years ago I I do that Mm -hmm. oh I've always done that oh that's why that works and that's why that makes sense and then when I added the the knowledge from other people and uh, from other cultures into the mix of the things that I kind of was just doing instinctively my gardening then just got better because I was able to draw down on everybody else's experiences and they just they slotted in with how I felt and how I worked perfectly so I kind of embraced permaculture and went yes this is the thing that makes sense. This kind of way of designing and working makes sense for me. Yeah,
0: and, and the photography in the book is really it's really shows a stark contrast between those different types of agriculture. There are fields by their farm and they're fallow and barren and perfect and weed free, but there's nothing growing in them and they look like honestly dead soil mm-hmm. to me. And then there's by their farm, which is just this abundant tropical, well, not tropical, but just like lush paradise that is It's just like an explosion.
1: Yeah. a green explosion right exactly. and it was absolutely full of wildlife and it, that was one of the things that we noticed as we developed by the farm and got more and more plants things got more mature was just how much more wildlife arrived and people in the local town would say there's not many birds around this year i thinking that's cuz they're all at our house. They're at your house.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I found out after reading the book I started stalking you on on YouTube. You have this fantastic YouTube channel and I discovered that you've since moved by their farm to something a little bigger. Tell me about we that. Have.
1: So, by the farm uh, in Monmouthshire was going to be our last and final home. Not that we were planning to go anywhere quickly, but you know, we were and we were not expecting to leave there unless we had to go into an uh, a care home or in a box. That was our plan. Um, <laughs> And then about three years ago, we had a conversation as part of our annual review and evaluation of how things have gone. And we said, oh, you really would like to do something like pigs. That would be, you know, it just seemed like having pigs was like the next. I just wanted to do some larger livestock. Mm -hmm. But the ground there had previously had commercial glass houses on it. And when they came down, a vast amount of glass went into the ground. Mm. And there was absolutely no way I was going to put pigs on a land that was Full of glass because as they're rooting and snuffling through the ground they were going to just have huge lacerations in their mouths and we were going to have really unwell pigs so if we wanted to do those larger livestock then it needed to not be there and we tried to buy some land locally we tried to buy one of the fields next door and, and that just wasn't available to us so the only option was to say are we gonna move oh Shall God. we do this what a uh, huge undertaking and, uh, <laughs> Uh, we leave this edible paradise we've created and pick it up and take it somewhere else can we do that and so we ummed and ahed and went backwards and forwards with ideas for a really a long time for about two years until eventually we went yeah we're going to do this so about nine months ago we started looking and nearly nine weeks ago we moved to our new by the farm so the names come with us and got 11 acres
0: oh my god <laughs> 11 <laughs> acres that feels like a Huge step up. Tell me, how are you going to manage this? Fifteen times
1: bigger. Fifteen times the space that we had. I'm just starting to get my head around thinking in terms of everything's just got to be fifteen times bigger. So (laughs) if I'm going to do a similar thing on a larger scale, instead of having two apple trees, I need thirty. Uh huh. Instead of having a dozen currant bushes, I need loads and Mm -hmm. loads. (laughs) Um, but but the other thing is that some of our research was to ensure that the land can do a csa here am i going to be able to find people to work csa with me so that i'm not trying to produce that all on my own and is there a market locally for veg boxes the answer is yes i can find people yes there are so that kind of made that feel safer we already have some larger livestock so we've got some sheep we brought 16 ducks with us um, and i have now started developing uh, just over half acre food forest so that was my my first bit it would be most sensible thing to do would be to wait a year and see how the land how the wind blows and the sun moves and so i've had to do a quick observation of the lay of the land understanding where the water moves across this land is really easy because there are channels already dug out of this land to siphon the water away from the land mm-hmm. uh, so we know how it flows and that you know i am still learning as i walk around like oh this bit's quite wet underfoot and then i find there's a burst hose pipe or something and it's so it's much more about a physical thing like that and it's been used as an equestrian property for the last 13 years oh
0: so there's Only manure
1: things there is oh yes we have two bungalow bungalow-sized piles of manure <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> we just call them the poo
0: bungalows because <laughs>
1: That's so we're, we're talking something about about 30 feet by 20 feet by about 10 feet high
0: wow okay so you're in manure often. you're you're yeah. covered really
1: we are yeah <laughs> wow. for once for a better phrase yeah so we've got all of that so I kind of went okay well I, I need to actually start growing some food so within the first week I'd got some squashes into the ground I'd got some cabbages in and started doing a covered tunnel for those to grow in and I made a very very deep raised bed I bought some metal very deep raised bed sort of waist height and and got salads and things planted into that very quickly decided that was not going to be where my vegetable garden was going to be I was going to move it because the soil there was awful and the soil somewhere else was lovely so uh, veggies are going to be grown in the new food forest excellent well I
0: can't wait to see what unfolds at the new by their farm which you're going to be documenting I assume on your YouTube channel is that right
1: absolutely my main YouTube channel is Liz Zorab by the farm and there's a video weekly talking about the gardening and growing, and then we started a second YouTube channel called By the Farm Two, and that's documenting all the other stuff so all our decisions about uh what kind of heating we're going to do some of the house renovations the tools that we're using the other livestock and some of the growing as well but it's basically it was to allow my channel to focus on the gardening and growing because that's what people come to me for that's what they're there for but we still wanted to be able to share some of the other side
0: wonderful well it is tip time do you have a favorite tip that you'd like to share with the garden nerd audience
1: so one of the things that I learned by accident uh, a few years ago is that rather than lifting your runner beans and pole beans uh, at the end of each season, if you cut them off and leave about four to six inches of stem above the ground, give them a really good mulch over winter and then just wait. The next year, uh, you may well find that they will regrow. And in fact, those beans that you've been using as annuals are in fact perennial.
0: Woohoo! I love perennial vegetable crops. That's a great tip. And I, we were chatting a little bit before we started recording about how i had a christmas lima bean that i let grow for a year and a half and then broke a digging fork trying to get it out because the trunk had gotten to about four inches in diameter so these runner beans i assume are still putting down roots over you know Mm -hmm. winter even i mean if they go dormant but then by the time you get them they just become more and more vigorous every year don't they
1: absolutely and rather than sending up sort of one shoot out of out of the bean in the first year uh, the ones after four years were sending up 9 11 13 shoots so you end up with you know a huge crop per plant
0: that is a really good tip Liz thank you so much You're for welcome. sharing that well and thank you for being a guest on the Nerd tip of the week podcast we've already mentioned your YouTube channel but how else can people find you
1: we have a, a website which is bythefarm.com uh, I'm on Twitter Instagram Facebook most of the social media outlets and uh, you can also find me on Facebook in my group Liz Zorab friends of Liz Zorab and um, by the farm or just on my page by the farm. Well,
0: wow. Garden Nerds, this was a fantastic discussion. I hope you enjoyed it. You'll find a link to Buy Their Farm on GardenNerd.com this week. We'll also share Liz's social media links and her YouTube channels where you can keep up to date on what's happening at Buy Their Farm. That's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. Visit us for tons of free gardening information at GardenNerd.com. Show your support for this podcast and the other free stuff at Garden Nerd by becoming a Patreon subscriber. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under Gardenerd1 on Facebook as Gardenerd.com and of course our Gardenerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening!